Good morning, church. Great to see you. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 14, he said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. This gospel shall be preached to the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. It implies that there is a mission that has a starting point and an ending point. It has a finish line. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that every Christian, every local church, so every Christian means you, it means me, every local church, it means Union Chapel, should be intentionally and strategically engaged in seeing the fulfillment of this great mandate to go into the world and preach the gospel. Now, when I, th- when I use the word intentional, what I'm suggesting is that every one of us should think about ways that we can give, we can pray, we can go. Uh, we can personally be intentionally engaged in fulfilling this mandate that Jesus gave to the church to go into the world and preach the gospel. And not only should we be intentional about it, but we should also be strategic about it. And what I mean by strategic, you saw a graphic there in the video that there are about 300,000 missionaries in the world and only one out of 10 of them, 10% of them, are going to places of the world that are yet to be reached. And what we know is that the hardest places to reach are the ones that are yet to be reached. I mean, if it's easy, anyone could do it. And so that's why most of the mission initiatives that are engaged in the world are to places that are a little easier to go to, not as dangerous. And so there is a strategic nature to what we do because we want to be part of finishing the work. We want to we move this great commission all the way to the line because, you see, one of these days, friends, the last people group is going to be reached. The last village is going to hear the gospel. The last person somewhere in the world is going to say yes to Jesus Christ. And then, Jesus said, the end will come. And literally ushering in the advent of the second coming of Jesus Christ hinges on the church assuming our responsibility to finish this great mandate, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, every Christian and every church should be intentionally and strategically involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. You have in your bulletin today uh, a special buff-colored card. It's our annual Faith Promise to World Missions. We've been engaging this very important faith practice now for many years in the life of our church, and we're going to do it again in anticipations of 2015. On this front page, you see at the bottom third there, there's a definition of faith promise. So if you're new to the church, let me just help you understand what it means. Faith promise is different from a church pledge or contribution to the general church budget. It's not a pledge made to the church. It's a promise made to God. Faith, then, is central. It's called for, not faith to receive or get, but faith to give. We're urged to ask God what you should trust Him for, the amount He will enable you to give uh, over the course of the year in 2015 to this special world mission outreach. The basis of the promise is a relationship between you and God. 
If for any reason you can't pay your faith promise, the reason should be explained to him. Make your promise not on the basis of what you have to give, but on the basis of what you believe God will enable you to give. So if you, if you think faith promise, you say, well, I, I'd like to pledge or I'd like to promise X amount of dollars. You know, that's something I can, if I adjust my budget or, or I, can, I can modify this or that. If you think of it in some natural way, then you won't be exercising your faith. So you need to pull the hose out of that natural bucket and you need to put it over into this, this bucket that says God's supernatural provision and put it in there and imagine what God may enable you to do by supernatural means uh, to su help support the faith promise budget next year. So I want to challenge you to do that. I heard about a church, uh, First Assembly of God Church in Fort Myers. I heard the pastor tell about his church a few years ago. This is a church that's about five times the size of Union Chapel, so it's a really substantial church. But that year, that calendar year, their children raised $38,000 for missions. The children mostly in loose change. <laughs> their youth group, their, their teenagers, raised $80,000 for world missions that year. I mean, that, that challenges me, doesn't it? That provokes me a bit. And so uh, I want us to exercise our faith. It's, it's, not about, it's not about the money, but it's about the growing sense of responsibility that you sense to fulfill God's commission in an intentional and strategic way. The questions that we continue to ask here at Union Chapel are these. What in the world is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can we be involved? What in the world is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can we be involved? Most of you who have been in Union Chapel for a while know that we've had a very substantial initiative, mission initiative in Central Asia in the nation of Kazakhstan. And I want to talk to you about Kazakhstan next week a little more specifically. Today, what I want to do is simply give you an outline of some of the other agencies and some of the other missionaries that we support through Faith, Faith Promise and our other general missions giving through the life of our church just to encourage you to know that as a church, we are intentional and strategically involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. Let me just show you, first of all, a list of agencies that we support through Faith Promise and our other missions giving here at the Life of Our Church. Uh, these are in alphabetical order, so not in the order of preference or, or in any other order. First is Asbury Seminary. Asbury is my alma mater. I graduated from that theological school. I currently serve on the board of trustees there. It's the greatest seminary in the world, producing the greatest leaders in the world. And so we support them. Uh, Blood and Fire, of course, this is Bob and Stacy Ball downtown. We've been supporting them substantially now for many years, and we love what they do, reaching to the least and the lowest and the last in our own neighborhood. And so we bless them with our support. Christian Ministries of Delaware County, uh, that's a, a, a historic ministry in the life of our community. I know uh, you've heard of the many good things that they do. Many of you I know volunteer at Christian Ministries. Great, great ministry. We support them. Uh, the Fellowship of Christian Ministries, FCA. Uh, this is a burgeoning ministry in our community. Jeff Mosier is the director. Uh, this is a, largely a high school ministry, and these chapters are springing up all over the area in these high schools. They sponsor Fields of Faith, which is held at the Fieldhouse each year, big event where thousands of teenagers show up for some inspiration 
doing a great job. We're, we're glad to be supportive of Fellowship of Christian Ministries. First Choice for Women has been in our community now for a number of years. They do a fabulous job dealing with crisis pregnancy. We love to support them. And I think Union Chapel is the, is the biggest contributor to First Choice for Women uh, in our community. Habitat for Humanity, of course, we support Habitat. We love uh, the whole concept. This year, we've built a house for Habitat. Many of you put your hands on that house, and it's uh, an area of ministry that we're very excited about. Interlink Resources is the name of our nonprofit humanitarian aid company that we formed years ago, uh, under which auspices we do all of our initiatives in Kazakhstan, Central Asia. And as I mentioned, I'll talk more about that next week. The Mission Society is a mission agency. I served on their board of directors for many years. They have uh, just over 300 missionaries in all kinds of places in the world doing fabulous work, and so we're excited to be part of their support. The Muncie Mission, of course, is an historic ministry here in our community. We have lots of friends and associations with the Muncie Mission here at Union Chapel, and I know that uh, you're proud to be part of their support team as well. So those are the agencies that we support through Faith Promise. Isn't that great? Yeah, really good. Now, let me show you a picture of some of our family members who are in the mission field. These, uh, these folks are all former members or current members of our church. They're members of our family, uh, literally children of family members here. Up in the upper left, that's Mark and Angie Rumchick. The Rumchicks uh, were Ball State students and came to Union Chapel while they matriculated at Ball State. Mark was a volleyball player at Ball State, and Angie was a field hockey star. And they are now serving with Campus Crusade in Fishers at the high school there. They've got one little one there. You can see him, and they're expecting number two, and they're excited about that. And they are just doing phenomenal work in Fishers with the high school students there. We get their newsletter every month. It's just really inspiring. We're encouraged to be part of their support team. Down the lower left, this is Scott Harris. Scott was a Ball State student years ago. You can see he's gotten a little older now. Came through and was inspired to continue his sense of call to mission as he was part of our church. And he has been living with his wife, Michelle, now uh, for a number of years in France with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Those are his, their two adopted French children. Scott is a, a brilliant uh, teacher and leadership developer. Excellent ministry there. Up in the upper right, that's Laura Sapp. She works with InterVarsity. She's she is, uh, again, part of the Union Chapel family. Her parents attend here. She's not at the University of Mar Michigan. She's at the University of North Carolina. She moved a few years ago. We kind of uh, lost track of a current picture of her, so that's how that got transposed there. Scott and Trish Castor, they work in East Asia with crew, uh, doing great work there. They've been there for a number of years. Again, family members of our church, and, and we just like to see members of our family who are supported. Uh, through our faith promise and other mission giving. So we're excited about that. Let me, uh, let me then just rehearse some of the individual missionaries that we support around the world in addition to our work in Kazakhstan. Again, these are in alphabetical order, and we'll just let you see a picture of Bob and Stacy Ball, whom we have been supporting now for many, many years. Bob and Stacy were actually on our staff here at Union Chapel and then uh, formed Blood and Fire Ministries years ago. And, and we fund, fund them in a substantial way. We're just so proud of their work and all that they do to make Muncie uh, a better place and let the light shine for Jesus 
among the poorest of the poor in our own community. So we're proud of them. It's a good picture, isn't it? And here's, a, here's Ron and Jean Cootie. Again, these are alphabetized. And Ron and Jean, Ron and Jean lived in Muncie years ago. He actually pastored Avondale United Methodist Church with his wife, Jean. Some of the members of our church were actually led to Jesus by Ron and Jean while they were in Muncie. They, uh, they associated with Union Chapel. We became fast friends. Ron and Jean ha- are raising five boys and have done so on the mission field, first in Kazakhstan and then in Cyprus, and now they're living in Istanbul, Turkey. And Ron does very strategic work writing and, and developing leaders there, indigenous leaders in the nation of Turkey. And so we're proud to be part of their support as well. Here's a Stan Hankins. Some of you have never met Stan. Uh, the reason that we support Stan, his wife Brenda there, is Stan is an old buddy of mine from our high school days. Stan and I competed against each other in opposing high schools, and we knew each other from that, and then got reacquainted at Asbury Theological Seminary when we matriculated there together, became very fast friends. Now, Stan works for an organization called Ambassadors for Christ, and he, he lives, and he suffers for Jesus. He lives in Hawaii. But he works among the peoples of the Pacific Rim. A lot of leadership development, um, development among indigenous leaders in the Pacific Islands and in the Pacific Rim, a very needy part of the world. And Stan is just a brilliant communicator. He's a great evangelist. He's on airplanes all the time, uh, constantly preaching the gospel. And you can see he met his wife, Brenda, in Hawaii. She's a native Hawaiian. And... Stan's a great guy. His only problem is he still resents me for the fact that his high school teams never, ever beat my teams in any sport all the way through. So other than that, Stan, Stan is a fine fellow. I don't know why he keeps bringing that up. It's just... Actually, he's not the one that brings that up. So I... <clears throat> let me introduce Sadiq Kawarwau to you. I met Sadiq the first time I traveled overseas to Bombay, India, Mumbai, uh, in 1989, and I met Sadiq, and he was an he was an amazing fellow. He he had only been a Christian for a few years at that point. Sadiq grew up in in a family. His father was a Muslim imam, a big shot Muslim leader, and Sadiq was very devout in his Islamic faith. One day, Sadiq, as a young man got off the train, the mass transit train in Bombay, Mumbai, and, and there was a college student on a summer mission with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, standing on the platform on the, one of the train drop-offs, and he handed Sadiq a, a gospel tract. Sadiq looked at it, saw it was about Jesus, and immediately just discarded it, found it disgusting. And a week later, Sadiq got off... If you've not been to India, I can only say that the millions of people who use the mass transit trains every day in India, it is a crushing, crushing weight of humanity in and, in and off these trains. An average of 12 people, a dozen people die every day around the trains in Mumbai, India, just because people get crushed, literally physically crushed, uh, they, get, they fall off the trains, they get knocked in front of trains. People die every day around the trains. I mean, it's just the humanity. Oh, the humanity. And Sadiq, about a week later, got off a train near where his little 
apartment was, and the same college student met him as he stepped off the train and handed him another of those gospel tracts. Now, the odds of that are like hitting a lotto because of the numbers involved. Sadiq looks at it again, and this time, for some reason, he keeps it, and he takes it back to his little apartment, and he reads it, and it begins to trouble him, the message of Jesus. And he looks on the back of this tract, and the address of this college student is on it. He only lives a few blocks from Sadiq, and so he calls this guy, and he goes and sits down with this student, and they interact about Jesus, and Sadiq becomes further troubled. A few weeks after that, in the middle of the night, now this is going to stretch your theology, some of you, so you have to hang on, just hang on with this. In the middle of the night, it's about three in the morning, and Sadiq believes there's an earthquake because he is awakened. He said when his bed, he said he felt like it just literally jumped up in the air and landed and jolted him awake. And he thought it's an earthquake. He's got to get out of the building. And Sadiq sets up in his bed but realizes there is no movement. And he, he waits there for a second wondering what has happened. And the next thing he hears is a knock at the door of his little apartment. Sadiq gets up, walks to the door of his apartment, opens the door, and there standing in the hallway is Jesus, as in Jesus of Nazareth. And so Sadiq is having an epiphanal revelation of Jesus. This is either a vision of some sort or a tangible manifestation of Jesus who shows up at Sadiq's apartment. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus has never come to my house. I'm not <laughs> sure I could handle it. But, and so Sadiq is stunned by this. He, he, he sits back down. He's just a little hovel of an apartment. He sits down there, and Jesus walks to the foot of his bed, and Jesus said, I am the one whom you seek. And so he says to him, Sadiq, I want you to serve me wherever I send you and tell the story of my love for people. And Sadiq was converted he was converted. That, that actually makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, Jesus. <laughs> when we met Sadiq, to our knowledge, Bombay at the time was 17 million people, and there were 2 million Muslims in Bombay, and as far as we know, there wasn't a single person trying to reach the Muslims of Bombay, India, Mumbai, except for Sadiq. He's the only one. And what we've learned over the course of many years now since that time, as we've been part of Sadiq's support system, is that virtually all of the converts that Sadiq has won to Jesus have been won to Jesus because Sadiq introduces them to Jesus and then they subsequently either have a dream of, about Jesus or see a vision, an epiphanal revelation just like Sadiq of Jesus himself. So, so for years and years, Union Chapel has been the primary support, financial support for Sadiq, his wife, and their kids. His father, the imam, sent, sent uh, menacing characters to Sadiq, threatening him, beating him. At one time, they kidnapped him. They had him tied up in a dark room in a chair and said, if you don't renounce Jesus and become an, a follower of, of Muhammad again, we're going to kill you. And he just assumed they would, but he would not renounce his faith. He lives in Kashmir now where his father, just two years ago, his father passed away. Sadiq was called to the, the, the deathbed of his own father, Imam father. And his father said to him, Sadiq, I want you to know before I die that I have witnessed you as a follower of Jesus. 
And he said, before I die, I want you to hear me say that I respect your faith. Sadiq writes a couple of times a year. It's in broken English in an email. And he says, thank you, because without Union Chapel, I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done all these years. Listen, when they're passing out awards someday at the big party, that boy right there, he's going to be close to the front. We'll be way in the back, but he'll be really close to the front, that guy right there. And we are, we are his and, have, and continue to be his primary support in the world. Isn't that great? That's just cool? Yeah, I love that. Let me show you a picture of our good friends, Dave and Teresa Knaus. Dave and Teresa and their family led our team in Kazakhstan for about a decade. Those are their two boys, Daniel and Caleb. Their, their two daughters are older and they're out of the house now. And Dave and Teresa now are living in, in Oregon and they work for a ministry called Oasis. And it's a welcoming home ministry that help, that help people who have been on, serving on the mission field to debrief and decompress and it's a process, and it's very challenging, you can imagine. And they do a great job with that. And we're just thrilled to, to be part of their support team and what they're doing in such a strategic way. We've supported George and Hannah now for many, many years. George became a Christian as a young man in the state of Virginia and felt called to the mission field, and he went to India as a missionary. Hannah was raised in Germany, born in Germany. The first six years of her life, she lived in a small town in Germany called Gemünde. And it was, it was right at the beginning of Hitler's reign in Germany and just pre-Holocaust. Her parents were Jewish. Hannah was Jewish, of course. She was an only child. And her parents did an incredibly bold and courageous thing. When Hannah was six years old, a special train was purchased by Jewish families. And it collected all of the children. They called this the kinder care. And they put... They put about 1,200 of these children on a train and shipped them to England just months before the Holocaust began. And so at six years old, Hannah's last recollection of her parents is sitting at the window of this train as it pulls out. She never saw her parents again. They were both sent to concentration camps. They died there. Her cousins all died there, her aunts and uncles. Hannah is the only living survivor in her family. Hannah was raised by a godly family in England. She became a school teacher. She ended up in Holland. She was teaching school there many years ago. And there was a Billy Graham crusade, which was being conducted in London, England. And they were going to live broadcast that crusade via radio into various places in Holland. And, and Hannah went with a girlfriend of hers into a little chapel church in Holland where she sat there and listened to Billy Graham preach the gospel over the crackling radio in this chapel in Holland. Eh. And she was converted and began to sense the call to missions. And she went to India as a missionary, and that's where she met George. And they were married, and they served in India for a number of years, and then with Operation Mobilization actually coordinated and directed two mercy ships, maybe you've heard of them, the Lagos and the Dulas, that went from port to port around the world and uh, they did amazing work. George's philosophy of missions is the philosophy that has most imprinted my life and therefore our practice of missions here at Union Chapel. It was George's notion that the local church is a beautiful place from which to send 
teams of church planters to unreached people groups. And that's, of course, what we've, we've done in Kazakhstan. And so George and Hannah have imprinted my life. Sixty years later, from the time that they put Hannah on the train, Hannah finally felt the grace of God to go back to commune. She had never been back. It was too hard, too painful for her, too frightful for her. And so now, almost 70 years old, she goes back to commune. She tries to recollect at six years old where she may have grown up, which street it was in Germany. She found what she believed to be her street. The house was completely gone. It was completely different. So she went door to door up and down that street asking people, my name is Hannah. My parents were, do you remember them? Do you know anything about them? And no one recalled anything about them. She got near the end of the street, knocked on a door, and a woman opened the door. She was in her 90s. And Hannah said, my name is Hannah. Do you, do you know anything about my family? And the woman smiled at her and she said, not only do, did I know your parents, she said, I was your nanny when you were a baby. And she told Hannah everything she needed to know about her family and about her parents. Isn't that an amazing story? Now, George and Hannah spent about six months every year now working in Germany with the church in Germany and doing reconciliation ministry between, the, between the, the church in Germany facing and dealing with the consequences of the Holocaust. It is a remarkable story. We featured Hannah's book, which she wrote just last year, called A Garland for Ashes in our bookstore. We have copies of that if you want to grab it and read her story. It's an amazing, an amazing story. And so we're so thankful that God sent George and Hannah into our lives and for the work that God's used through them. Here's the next picture. This is Steve Unangst. Most Many of you know Steve. Steve was a Ball State student, attended Union Chapel, uh, got cranked up for missions. He was already a mission enthusiast. Coming to Union Chapel made him worse. And Steve is actually the guy who led our first team into Kazakhstan. Steve almost single-handedly blazed a trail for us to get into Kazakhstan. He put a backpack... This crazy thing. He put a backpack on his shoulders, sandals on his feet, a passport in his hand, and we sent him like with a one one way ticket to Kazakhstan. <laughs> and and he went he went into Kazakhstan by himself. And two weeks later, he came out of Kazakhstan and he had forged a contract with a hospital in one of the villages in Kazakhstan. He took a business card that said Interlink Resources on it. Now that's our nonprofit humanitarian aid company which is fully formed at this point in our history, but at the time, it was a business card. You know, we spent 50 cents, made some cards. That was Interlink Resources. And, and Steve, you know, walked around to Kazakh officials saying, uh, I represent a humanitarian aid company from Muncie, Indiana. We will supply a container of medical supplies for your hospital if you will agree to associate with us. <laughs> he was just blowing hot air. He had no idea we, were, we could do any of that. <laughs> But he forged his contract, came home, and he said, we got to get a container of medical supplies together. I said, what are you talking about? And that's how it all started. And we sent the container, and Steve led our first team. Then he came home after a few years and, and uh, relocated to Texas, worked out of a local church there, continued to do uh, leadership development and mission training. And two years ago, I only hear from Steve when he needs money. This is Steve's M.O., Two years ago, I get this, this hat-in-hand email. Steve said, you know, I'm sorry, I haven't been in touch the way I should. I, I apologize for not being more communicative. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I need money. Steve now has, has 
has gone onto the field again. He is, he is now in Turkey. Um, he's leading a team there. Again, learning the language, making friends, and winning converts, establishing the church among Muslim peoples in Turkey. This beautiful thing in the picture with him is his wife, Miriam. How he got a woman that looks like that to marry him, I is, will remain one of the great profound mysteries of my life. I, I have no idea. That's actually a really good picture of Steve. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand marrying up. You know, I'm in that category. But he really, he cracked it out of the park. I'm just, I don't know. He won't even bring her here. I said, bring your wife to Muncie. He said, I'm going to bring her up there. <laughs> because he knows we'll torment him. So... Steve is a great champion for Jesus. He's amazing. He is, he is a real cowboy. And so we support Steve and, and what he's doing in Turkey, and it's a remarkable, remarkable thing. Here is uh, the last picture I want to show you. This is Brett and Maria Westbrook. And Brett and Maria and their children lived in Kazakhstan. They served on our team there for about a decade. Brett and Maria now work with a ministry called Crescent Project based in Indianapolis, and Crescent Project was found, founded by uh, our good friend Fouad Masri. Fouad was here preaching for us about a year ago. And Fouad has a wonderful ministry uh, to the Muslim cultures, tra training and equipping people on how to reach uh, Muslims in a careful way. And Brett and Maria are wonderful team members there with Fouad at Crescent Project. Uh, just to see how things kind of come full circle, Fouad's wife... Lisa was a Ball State student, came to Union Chapel, brought here by, by some of her Christian friends to church, and she hung around here just a little too long, and she, she met Jesus. And so we led, we led Lisa to Jesus, and then a few years after that, she met Fouad, and so every time I'm with Fouad, Fouad always says, thank you so much. Because of your ministry, I have a Christian wife, and it means so much to me. And so see how this all comes kind of networked and full circle and so we support the Westbrooks, and we'll continue to do that. Because, see, we're in debt to these guys for what they did for us, like the Knausses, like Steve Unangst, for what they did for us in Kazakhstan. So we have a big debt that we can't pay off, so we just keep supporting them to say thank you for all that they've done for our initiatives in Kazakhstan. So that's not all the missionaries we support, but it's, that's the lion's share of them. And I wanted to share those images and those stories with you this morning because this is what God has asked us to do. We, we take seriously this mandate, the Great Commission, this mandate to go to the places that have yet to be reached in an intentional and strategic way, and we're going to continue to do that. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to do any preaching this morning. We're, we're, literally, we're out of time. But I wanted you to hear these stories, and I, wanted to, I want you to know what you're supporting when you contribute to these important and amazing people. Today, I've listed in your outline there just three things I want you to hear real quickly. Jesus said in Mark 16, he said, I want you to go preach the gospel, and as you go and preach the gospel, these signs will follow you. These signs will accompany you. So if you're one of those type A's and you've got to get your outline filled out, let me just give you those real quick so you don't lay awake at night tonight all worked up because you didn't get your outline filled out. 
because some of you are that way. The first, the first fill in the blank is go. Go into all the world, Mark 16, 15. And it's from the original Greek, the imperative tense. So it means you go. Now do what? And preach. That's the second point. Preach the good news. Go and preach. And so that's what we're, that's what we're commanded to do. And now here's the third point. And it's very important. This is the idea that I want to convey to you before we finish up. And that is provision. The word you need is provision will follow. Provision will follow. Jesus said, when you do this, you go and preach the gospel, signs and wonders, the supernatural, the divine provision of God will follow. Now, now listen to the point. The verb is follow. So that divine provision from God never precedes obedience to the Great Commission. It always follows obedience to the Great Commission. So if you want the supernatural provision, blessing, the miraculous provision of God, these signs will follow those who go and preach. If you want the supernatural provision of God, then you honor and obey the command to go and preach to fulfill the Great Commission. And as you do that, God's supernatural provision will, what's the verb? Follow. We'll follow that. That's not just true in the life of our church. That's true in your life. That's true in your life. So I want, you to, I want you to get this. I not only want you to be inspired by the type of people and the kinds of ministries that we support with our missions dollars, I want you to be enthused and passionate about that, but I also want you to realize that the supernatural provision of God will follow our obedience to engage this mandate. And so what we have discovered over the years is that a church that is highly invested in the work of God and the missions of God is a church that never has to worry about provision. It never has to worry about money. It never has to worry about having enough because God's supernatural provision always follows obedience to the Great Commission. And, and, and so that is also true in your life. As you are faithful, intentional to go, to pray, to give, and you are strategic and you engage in ministries with people that matter in parts of the world that are yet to hear this wonderful news, then you can assure yourself that this provision, this miraculous grace of God will follow. One more verse. It's in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Proverbs 24, 11, 24, and 25. And it says, There is that scatters, yet increases. NIV says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Now, this is the principle. This is it. There is that scatters. A person who is generous and scatters what God has placed in, at their disposal, this is a person who tends toward an increase, toward blessing. Then verse 25 says, a generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Can I just conclude with this thought? You take care of the business of God, and God will take care of you. You all right with that? You take care of the business of God, God will take care of you. We found that to be true in the life of our church these many, many years. It's true in our individual lives. 
So I want to challenge you today. Take this faith promise card home with you. Pray about it. Ask God, God, what, what would you ask me to trust you, believe you for, in addition to my regular giving, so that I can expand my faith and see your supernatural provision supplying all these wonderful people? And if you'll do that, it will, it will encourage your faith and prosper your life. Amen. Okay? All right. Isn't it, isn't it encouraging to hear these stories? Isn't it, isn't it good? I hope it, I hope it inspires you. It does me. I love to talk about them. All right. Would you stand as you're able? Let me pray for us. Lord, this morning, we thank you for exposure to these wonderful people and agencies and ministries that are making a difference in such significant ways around the world. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to hear your call to go or to pray or to give. Lord, help us to be intentional. And Lord, help us also to be strategic. Because there is a job that needs to be done, the work that needs to be finished. And Lord, there is a finish line out there. Help us to find our part strategically in getting the church to that finish line. Lord, in enlighten our minds, inspire our hearts, help us to trust you, to place our faith, confident trust in you. And in all these ways, we offer our lives to you for your service. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.